Alistair McGrath joins us today. He is professor of science and religion at Oxford University and director of the Ian Ramsey Center for Science and Religion. His many publications include The Dawkins Delusion, that got a lot of attention, and a new volume, Coming to Faith Through Dawkins, 12 Essays on the Pathway from New Atheism to Christianity. These are 12 essays by different contributors co-edited co-edited by Professor McGrath and Dennis Alexander with an introduction by Professor McGrath. Welcome, sir. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay, well, remind us yet again, bring us back to those, those heady days when the new atheism was, was hot. It was the, the thing. Just what was this? Why did it come about? Well, it was very hot back about the year 2006, 2007. And really what happened was that, um, if I can put it like this, there was a sudden surge in credibility for atheism, partly arising from 9-11. And I think one of the issues really was that uh, suddenly it seemed as if atheism had a definite role to play. There was a real need for this. And when you look at people like Richard Dawkins or Daniel Dennett or Sam Harris or indeed Christopher Hitchens, who are the key people in this movement, they were really presenting a very simple, a very straightforward message that really captured the public imagination because there was this widespread perception, religion is dangerous. And so the new atheism came in heavy on slogans, lightweight on arguments, but it really attracted a huge amount of attention. And it looked for a while as if really this was a new dawn that in fact, atheism was going to be the, um, the substitute for religion for the foreseeable future. And so it was very exciting for atheism, at least for that time. And then it, then it all went wrong. So, <laughs> so really, we're looking back to a period which is long past. Yes. You know, as you were just talking, I don't think you, you don't go into this in your, in your introduction. I don't think any of the contributors went into this, but I don't recall oh so 9-11 is blamed on religious zeal right religious fanaticism which the new atheists were sort of uh, able to cast as well it's all fanaticism uh but i don't remember any of these specific 9-11 hijackers w weren't they weren't they sort of rather secular figures from prosperous middle-class families that these these were not from these were not identified with any religious sects were they well not really the problem was that uh, basically if you look at the background to this i mean the real issue is american foreign policy um <laughs> and in effect what the new atheism did in, in a stroke of rhetorical genius was to convert a protest against american foreign policy particularly in the middle east into a, a campaign against religion and it carried a lot of weight at the time because people felt that uh, it, it made sense to say the real problem here is religion these guys who flew planes into buildings were motivated by religion so in effect although I, I think it's fair to say religion did not have a very high profile in this thing at all it suited the new atheists to make this point and for quite a long time that was seen as plausible what made Dawkins's contribution to the new atheism, uh, the polemic, what made it draw so much attention? I, because I think what I think Dawkins's actual book really caught more. The others were bestsellers, Sam Harris's especially and, and Hitchens's. 
But it seemed Dawkins, he was the one who really, really got religion. Is that what made him stand out? I think he stood out as being the most uh, high profile to begin with, certainly. And also, I think the one who really was able to articulate a, a vision for atheism would seem to capture at least part of the cultural mood at the time. And his message was very, very simple. And I think I would have to say a little bit simplistic, which is, look, no religion, no religious violence. Simple, get rid of religion. And that, that did actually resonate with the public mood for a while, at least. And then, as I was saying, really, people began to think, is, is, it, is it really this simple? Isn't it, isn't it a bit more complicated than this? And that's where doubts began to settle in. Yeah. Now, he also, and was this a factor, he also was a renowned scientist. Hitchens wasn't. Hitchens was always a polemical intellectual. Harris wasn't a great, but uh, 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 Dawkins had revealed the truth about issues of evolution and, and genetics did that lend him great credibility? It did, because he was a very well-known scientific popularizer. And in effect, he was like a prophet with a very um, heavy, um, heavy coating of um, professional competence, which in effect came from him being a well-known scientist. And I think that really made him stand out. Sam Harris had, a, I think, a doctorate in science or something like that. But Richard Dawkins actually had real plausibility as a public figure. I think that really um, lent him a, a lot of dignity in this particular debate. So really, Dawkins is the figure to focus on. And that's one of the reasons why this book really does focus on Dawkins. Although I have to say that actually one of the reasons that, that we focused on Dawkins was because we found a lot of people who were willing to tell their stories in their own ways and their own words about how they initially thought, hey, Dawkins is really good, really credible, really exciting. And then disillusion, disappointment gradually began to settle in. So the focus on Dawkins is, I think, deliberate because he is the most high profile of those four new atheists. And I think it was entirely reasonable to focus on him because in many ways, he carries the movement uh, and it illustrates very well its core beliefs. And, and a particular outcome, as you, as you just sort of, sort of said, of new atheist writings ran squarely against the author's intent. It actually pushed people to examine religious belief more carefully. And gosh, they didn't become new, new atheists. Did the, did the new, did one of the contributors, maybe it was you who said, you know, the new atheists saw this and it kind of dismayed them a little bit. Was that right? Well, I think, um, I think there is evidence that the new atheists were aware they were generating a reaction. But I think what's really interesting about this book is it's, it's, it's such a, a human interest story. In effect, you know, the idea that, that people initially are drawn to Richard Dawkins and then on reading him more closely, begin to say there's something wrong here. And I think it's very helpful just to focus in on what the particular problems were. I think that the first one was simply that people began to realize that he he overstated in a very significant way. In other words, that basically he his, his rhetoric got ahead of reality. But a second point, which I think a lot of people point out in this book, is that his, his representation of Christianity wasn't entirely reliable. Actually, in many ways, he misunderstands or misrepresents and that that did cause some concern 
And the final point, which I think is really helpful here, is that actually people began to realize that um, Dawkins' arguments didn't actually take you all the way to atheism. They might take you to agnosticism, but they didn't actually take you further than that. So I think there was a, there's a growing realization that actually this, this is not really the kind of um, intellectual tidal wave that some people thought it was. It was, in effect, uh, ramped up rhetorically into a conclusive demonstration atheism is right, whereas, in fact, really, it was saying actually there's quite a good intellectual case for agnosticism, but it doesn't go much further than that. You know, a couple of the contributors... Uh, Louise Mabil, if I'm pronouncing her, her name right, uh, notions that one of the thing, one of the turnoff elements wasn't uh, about ideas. It was the new atheists might have wanted to present themselves as sort of the, the libertarian, modern, irreverent, even ironic, witty, sophisticated worldly figures to actually coming off as rather dogmatic and humorless figures more so than the bishops that they that they ridiculed it was the that air of of arrogance and and condescension was that a factor in coming to faith I think it was, certainly for some of these contributors. I mean, the, the, one of the things they, 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 they bring out very clearly is that Dawkins' tone was not that of a scientist patiently explaining something. It was rather a rather dogmatic person hurling thunderbolts and saying, you guys are idiots, you know, if you don't see this. And I think the, the, the two things that really stand out are, as you were saying, his dogmatism, but also his absolute certainty. I'm right. But the evidence actually doesn't allow him to say that. The evidence might say, I think there's a good case for this, but it goes no further than that. And Sweel began to feel, actually, I mean, I know this sounds a bit paradoxical, but Dawkins seems awfully religious in a bad sense of the word. You know, he, in fact, he is, he, he is um, laying down things, you know, saying you must accept this as right. I'm an authority figure. And that sounds awfully like religion at its worst. So, again, uh, people began to think there's something wrong here. If the evidence is good, you don't need this dogmatism. You don't need this kind of um, uh, false certainty. You just need to explain this patiently and carefully and people will go along with you. So I think that he really undermined himself quite significantly there. Yeah. You know, the first essay is by scientist Cy Garte, who notes that Dawkins attributes all morality to evolution. Is there any cultural phenomenon that, that Dawkins didn't attribute to evolution? And, and I mean, what was behind that question is, is there a bit of a you know, a, a confirmation, confirmation bias here with Dawkins where ev or, or a falsifiability factor where, no, no, evolution explains everything. And, and it can explain everything. Nothing can falsify it. I think that is a problem. If you look at Dawkins' essay, Universal Darwinism, you have this idea of a grand theory which explains everything, and, and in doing so, it makes everything else redundant and unnecessary. So in effect, what Dawkins is doing is saying that Darwinism, in the metaphysical sense in which he presents it, is able to answer all of our questions. In other words, it's almost like a religion. And what, what I would have expected to find is something like this. I would expect that Dawkins say something like, uh, Darwinism can explain 
some aspects of our cultural life, perhaps, or our physical lives, but not everything. But Dawkins seems to say, look, there's only one key to the meaning of life, one key to the way the world works, and it's Darwinism. And I think that was that is something of an overstatement. I think most theologians, most scientists would simply say um, that, that Darwinism is helpful in explaining part of the way our world works, but to go way beyond it, as Dawkins does, is actually a, a giant leap of faith, which is simply not substantiated by the evidence. So it is, I think, really, really Dawkins saying, I've got a big picture that works better than anybody else's big picture, and in effect, almost converting universal Darwinism into a religious creed, which you have to accept. Yeah. Another problem Garte and a few other contributors raise is Dawkins' many historical errors, for instance, about Hitler and Stalin, uh, which come across as not errors of historical interpretation, but just elementary errors of fact. And the same can be said of, of some of Harris's and Hitchens's uh, historical statements about Christianity. Now, how was it that such super smart scientists and intellectuals could be so negligent of facts that others could easily use against them? Were they, were they just lazy about, about the, were they too, too certain? Is, is, this, is this one of the pitfalls of dogmatism? Well, I think it is. I think one of the problems is that the Dawkins and Hitchens don't know what they don't know. In other words, they they kind of assume it's so obvious that religion is ridiculous that they they don't really feel the need to check things out or, or be attentive to nuance or anything like that. So I think there's a real cause for concern here. I mean, certainly many of my atheist friends roll their eyes in horror at some of the crass overstatements or misunderstandings they see in both Dawkins and Hitchens. So it's a real problem, I think. And also, of course, it does undermine his credibility as a, as a critic of religion when he clearly doesn't really understand what it's all about. I think that, that's a real problem for a lot of people. So I, I think this is a very important point to make out. I mean, why on earth did, did, didn't some Somebody reads and say, can you just check a few things here? I mean, <laughs> I most media organizations are things called fact checkers. And I think that actually Dawkins could have done with one. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Peter Byram, uh, another contributor, asks Dawkins a question at an academic gathering. He's, he's sort of a younger person at, at the time. And he gets an answer that he says disillusioned him with, with Dawkins. Uh, Dawkins did this sort of dismissive uh, response. Disillusionment is part of these contributors' experience because, as you said, they thought of him. His work initially electrified them. The idea of this evolutionary scientist now taking on religion, he's got, he's got the facts in hand. He, he sees clearly, he's proved it. Uh, but the disillusion sets in. Uh, this was a big factor, too, in coming to faith. That's right. I think it's good. They, Sorry, go on. Yeah. Well, well um, I mean, it's, it's funny how uh, many people leave the faith out of disillusionment. Here, the people came to faith out of disillusionment with this idol that they had, uh, that they had before. I think uh, Aniko Albert says, talks of her disillusionment in, in, the, in the volume uh, as well. Why wouldn't Dawkins, 
This is one factor of the disillusionment. Why wouldn't Dawkins debate William Lane Craig? He refused the debate. Well, that's a very good question. And I honestly do not know the answer because it's such an obvious thing for Dawkins to do. The criticism being made of Dawkins is, look, um, you're you're critiquing religion. Why not get into dialogue with a serious philosopher of religion and see where you go. I mean, it's all very well to throw hand grenades at at church leaders or things like that, but what on earth about a serious thinker who actually has engaged these questions? And Dawkins, in effect, really was rather dismissive. This guy is just an attention seeker. I don't want to give him credibility. Well, I'm sorry. If if you are engaging in an argument, then you need to engage the best representatives of your opponents. And that's one of the reasons why I'm engaging Dawkins in this book. and my 12 colleagues are, because we think he's the best and therefore we need to take him very, very seriously. Dawkins could simply have said, right, tell me who the best people are on the religious side of things. Uh, he engages Richard Swinburne in a rather superficial way, but William Lane Craig would have stood out as being an obvious uh, example of someone who had popular credibility as a Christian writer. Why on earth didn't he just engage him, particularly as William Lane Craig uh, managed to, um, if I can put it like, just throw a few thunderbolts Dawkins' way, which he wasn't able to dodge. So I think the real issue here is that people felt there's an epistemic asymmetry here, that Dawkins is in effect not taking his opponents seriously, not engaging arguments as they should be, and in effect is simply ridiculing without actually looking at credible representatives of the Christian faith or indeed other religious traditions. And again, that did create a a feeling of dismay, disillusionment, disappointment. Why isn't he? If he's right, then there's going to be no problem about engaging someone like William Lane Craig because you should be able to knock him down you know, in the first five minutes. But in fact, that wasn't the case. So I think there was a very big issue here, particularly in regard to Dawkins' public credibility. And that, I think, picks up, it's picked up by a number of our contributors who really feel something's wrong here. Maybe, maybe Dawkins isn't quite as secure as he thought he was. Yeah, I, I, you, you know, I'm sure you, you've you've encountered the 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 smart aleck adolescent atheist, you know, the 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 kid who's read a little Nietzsche and 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 you know gotten relativism 101, <laughs> and uh, I think that Dawkins's more outrageous statements that might have disillusioned some of the serious thinkers. That may be the favorite parts of a lot of Dawkins' fan. The more outrageous he is, the more sweeping and and religiously anti-religion, zealously so, the more they enjoyed it. That it was fun to hear Dawkins do that. Do you think that was a big factor in his popularity? Yep, I do. Um, there's a very interesting book by the, the British philosopher, an atheist philosopher, by the way, uh, John Gray, called Seven Types of Atheism. He begins with a new atheism. It's a form of entertainment, he says. You know, it, it's there to amuse people. It's not intellectually serious. It kind of it plays into the prejudices and the rather warped senses of humour of, of various people. And John Gray just says, look, intellectually, this is trivial. You know, it, it doesn't really engage with things seriously. It's there, just there to amuse people. People. And I think that's about right, which is why, in fact, John Gray says, right, we've done that. Let's go on to some serious talk now and moves on to deal with other atheist writers. So I think, you know, the new atheism has been a very, very bad public relations uh, 
example for, for atheism in general. And that's one of the reasons why most atheist philosophers, in effect, just, um, you know, A, dismiss it, and B, are very, very clear this is not to be taken seriously. So I think yeah. it's, it's, it's a case of Richard Dawkins having really alienated people who ought to be on his side. You know, Judith Babarsky, another contributor, is likewise put off by the way Dawkins treats believers with contempt and, and dismissal. And one gets, can we assume that your contributors find that the condescension is not just an external attitude? It's not just a, a rhetoric or you know, a way of expressing new atheist ideas. It's actually essential to new atheism. That, that, that it can't be disengaged. Simpson, the, the denial of God. Uh, the, no, it's the denial of God in, again, the, the, uh, uh, as a contemptuous formation, and people are contemptuous, that, that you can't separate the two. Is that correct? I think it is. I think you've made a very good point. I mean, what Dawkins does is really not so much ridicule religious arguments as ridicule religious people. And that actually has attracted a lot of a lot of negative feedback from his fellow atheists saying, look, you, you've got to look at the arguments, you've got to look at the evidence and in effect vilifying or um, just uh, humiliating religious believers is not a good thing. It's one thing to say, look, there's some problems with arguments, the existence of God. It's another thing to say religious believers are idiots, fools, uh, mad, bad and sad, and possibly all three, you know. I mean, that, that's a very big thing. In, in um, British English, you would say Dawkins is, is, is going for the players rather than the ball. In other words, it, these are very often very highly personalized attacks on religious people. And that has actually created a lot of unease within the atheist community because they feel, look, if you are going to argue with people, you've got to treat them with respect and try and separate out the people and the arguments. And Dawkins actually tends to ridicule, humiliate people. And that's, I think, a, a very negative thing because obviously it, it comes very, very close at times to incitement of hatred. And I think that's a real, a real knife edge. I think Dawkins needs to be a bit more careful about in what he's saying. So I think you're right. I mean, Dawkins, in effect, exudes condescension. He exudes contempt for religious people. But the evidential basis for this is not good. And therefore, I think what he's doing is playing to the gallery, using a kind of rhetorical technique to cover up for very inadequate evidential argumentation. Yeah. You, you know, do you, let me ask you a, a question about your work. The, the Ramsey Center, do you have a lot of atheists? Who, who come through? Students or, or researchers? Well, the answer is we, we accept anybody who'd like to come. I mean, we, we want to encourage anybody who's interested in this whole area to come. And there is no religious or anti-religious test of any kind. It's simply if, you, if this interests you, we are interested in you. And it's very much in terms of um, bringing people up to date with the best scholarship. And of course, as you will know, the best scholarship is saying that the, the narrative of the warfare of science and religion is simply... Uh, an invention, you know, that actually we, we now know why it came into existence. We now know why it's such a, a, a misrepresentation of things. But the interesting thing about Richard Dawkins he, is that he doesn't just present this narrative. He depends on it for his um, understanding of the relation of science and religion. So one of the things 
that we have seen is there's growing interest in this field of science of religion internationally. And it's partly because of the new atheism having raised its profile and then failed to deliver satisfactory answer. And people are saying, well, I'm sure there are better answers to be found. And they go and begin to, to look for these. Is, is atheism growing among elite students, would you say? I think um, if you'd asked me that question about 20 years ago, I'd have said yes. Now I wouldn't say that. What I'm seeing is a growing realization that life is a bit complicated and, and that atheism very often is rather rather simplistic. And what I think you, you see people saying, particularly younger people, um, will say, look, Richard Dawkins is terribly modernist. You know, it's either this or that. It can't be, can't be in between or anything like that. I think there's a growing realization that the complexity of our world and the, the difficulty in actually trying to figure out exactly what's right and wrong does make the very, um, very black and white argumentation of new atheism seem really rather dogmatic and superficial. So I think people nowadays tend to be more interested in talking about religion or spirituality and reflecting on where it takes them because they can see there's something there, whereas Dawkins is simply polemically dismissing it. So I think, I think it, the culture has moved on. And that's one of the reasons why when I talk to young people, I very often have to explain to them who Richard Dawkins is because they don't know anymore. There's a kind of um, generational shift going on. What, what what was it about him that that lost he, he he lost support on the left didn't he what was it was it uh i'm not i'm not sure any anyway never mind <laughs> never i mean his star has has fallen and he's less he's less aggressive today isn't he well he's getting older i think that um he, Dawkins, I think, made a number of misjudgments um, and missteps. I think if I could mention um, just two of them, one is for some reason, uh, which we don't entirely understand, the new atheism morphed in some kind of alt-right group, you know, uh, absolutely you know, obsessed with um, uh, critiquing Islam. And, and, and people are very, very puzzled by that. Because in effect, I mean, the new atheism ought to have really spoken to the to a, a kind of democratic constituency, but it didn't really, and and that's a very real puzzle for a lot of people. And also, I mean, Dawkins made a number of missteps in relation to women. If you think of the new atheism, they're all old middle-aged men, white men. Uh, where are all the women? You know, where are all the people of color? There's some very serious um, ex uh, omissions here. I think that's partly because the way that the new atheism positioned itself, in effect, made it really a kind of very Americanized movement that, that appealed mainly to male thinkers. So I think there's a real issue there. I'm sure there's going to be a wonderful book written one day about why the new atheism went wrong. And I'm looking forward very much to reading that. Well, that, that was my last question to you. How do you think the new atheism will go down in history? I think it will go down as a fascinating cultural phenomenon, which tells us a lot about the shape of American culture um, in the first decade of the 21st century. Um, I don't think it's going to be remembered as being um, 
intellectually exciting. I don't think it should be remembered as a turning point in the discussion between atheism and religion or religion and secularism. I think it's going to be seen as a rather unusual phenomenon, which actually probably owed a lot to the personalities of the four people who ended up running the movement, but actually probably weren't the right people to run that movement at all. So I think that there's a fascinating group of studies, I'm sure, on the way. I'm going to be looking forward to reading them, but it's about history now, not present day reality. There's something that happened in the past, everyone's moved on, but it's really interesting to look back and ask, what can we learn from this? And the, this book we've produced is really actually partly a reflection on that. Um, what went wrong with the movement, why it lost its appeal, and we have 12 case studies of people who are each documenting the dissolution of the movement and finding something they regard as being better. The book is Coming to Faith Through Dawkins, 12 Essays on the Pathway from New Atheism to Christianity. Professor McGrath, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me.